Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Within the Mist, a hidden place where we walk into the dark and clouded unknown. I am your leaping over the walls of a host, Gary, here to entertain and inform you about the likes of cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries, with my lovely wife and co-host, Goldie Ann. Hello, Goldie Ann. Hello, leaping lizards. There's going to be a lot of leaping here and there, leaping, jumping, skipping, and throwing. Okay, but not... It's not the Annie movie. Definitely not. Miss Hannigan? No, this is going to be a definitely a different type of uh, leaping. Okay. For those of our listeners in the Central Florida area, I wanted to remind you that we will be attending the Spooky Empire Conference on June 17th to the 19th this year. It's going to be held at the Wyndham Orlando Resort in Orlando, Florida. We have reserved a table to talk with those interested in cryptids, ghosts, and other mysteries. It's going to be so much fun. It definitely is. We're going to fit right in with that kind of a spooky crowd. But we're also planning on bringing in some surprises that you don't want to pass up. So if you're in the area or know of anyone in the area with a taste for horror or science fiction, tell them to check it out and visit us at our table. I'm going to place a link for more details within our show notes. Today's episode contains stories about a shadowy figure that attacks women on the streets of London. What? That may be disturbing to some listeners. We are storytellers who have gathered information on some of our favorite mysteries to bring to you. We don't attempt to scare our listeners on purpose. Well, maybe just a little. Listener discretion is always advised. So now, if you're ready... Let's take a walk within the mist. In Victorian England, one of the biggest shifts to life for the British and the modern world was the Industrial Revolution. Britain quickly became the foremost commercial force in the 18th century world, with water and steam power creating the rise of a mechanized factory system. Work that was once done by hand was now able to be performed faster and in larger quantities by the machines. These machines altered the face of London and the rest of the country. The population had more than tripled and were now connected to one another like never before. Railroads with their steam-powered locomotives permitted greater number of peoples to leave the rural communities and live in the industrialized cities in search of a better life. However, People from all over the country were now crowded in on themselves, generating larger communities cramped together in poverty and confusion regarding this new mechanized world of tomorrow. The overcrowded streets within the smoke-skilled skies was the perfect environment to give rise to a new form of boogeyman, one who was fit to roam amongst the smoke and fire of the machinery of the times. It would be a fire-breathing devil-man who could leap impossibly high, and some believed he was just an extraordinary agile human, while others were convinced that he was an unnatural demon. He would act as a predator, focusing most of his attacks on the young women of London, only to jump over walls and escape into shadows. Regardless of what you believe about the legend, Spring-Heeled Jack was a name that inspired fear amongst the residents of London. Oh, okay. I'm with you now. 
So I take it you have heard of Spring Hill yes. Jack. Okay. Yeah, you did TikTok on it. Yes, I did. So well, this That's is going to be, that was three <laughs> minutes long. This will be a significantly longer. Okay, cool. So a lot I'm more excited. stories involved in it. So if you're ready, chapter one, the birth of the boogeyman. The first reports of the leaping demon's activities was in September of 1837. As a businessman made his way home late one night from work, with the increased production of factories, commerce never slept anymore, and this businessman found his work days extending far into the evenings and the night. Yuck. Yeah. There was not any concern on his mind, as the streets were mostly lit with the modern gaslights, and the city created an environment that you are never alone. His own sense of self-importance as a man of industry may also have had something to do with his lack of fear, despite his journey bringing him alongside one of the city's inner cemeteries. I would love to go to a London cemetery. They're, like, really old and beautiful. I know. There's there's, there's people who want to see, you know, the Taj Mahal, the Grand Canyon. <laughs> My wife's list of things to see are cemeteries and... Tombs and such as that. Don't forget haunted houses. And haunted houses. Now back to our man of progress. He believed himself too educated to have fears of ghost stories and hauntings. But he would be proved wrong this night. In a matter of a heartbeat, he was shocked as a mysterious figure jumped with ease over the considerably high railings of the cemetery, landing right in his path. The wall had been higher than the man's height, so it would have been impossible for this figure to have leaped over it with such ease. But that's exactly what he did. He now blocked the businessman's path to safety of his own home. The shadowy figure turned its attention to the man, somewhat surprised to find someone foolish enough to be out so late this evening. Its devilish features were disturbing to gaze upon. It seemed to have large and pointed ears and a pointed nose with protruding, glowing eyes. It was a muscular man, but did not seem to be completely human. It towered over the businessman as he fell to his knees. He realized that this was a true devil, much like the tales his mother and grandmother had warned him of when he was a child, any time he would misbehave. He trembled and awaited his terrible fate, which did not happen. Without incident, the figure turned and ignored him. Its lack of concern for the businessman was apparent, and it sprinted off down an alley connected to the street, leaving the frightened eyewitness to reconsider his views of safety and of the belief in demons and ghosts. So it's a good ghost. Oh, wait. He was a man. He doesn't like men. He wants women. As we will see. Okay. But don't get ahead of me. Oh, you've already told me that part. I know, but <laughs> I haven't given you examples yet. Okay. For now, the businessman finally reached home, and behind locked doors, he was able to calm himself. He set to make a report of the incident, and a news article detailing the event was written, but it barely mentioned the encounter and didn't give it much serious attention. It didn't even give credit to the existence of the shadowy figure. Well, 
what the point was the article then? I think it was meant more of a joke on the businessman's expense. Ouch. Well, you see, Victorian England was ripe with folk tales of imps and demons and ghosts roaming the countryside. And as these people made their way into the city, their legends came with them. Ghost stories were a means to not only entertain, but explain the sounds and the shadows of the night. The stories would give their fears a physical shape to face and deal with. With the introduction of so many of these ghost tales in such a small area, this shadowy figure seemed to take on the entire city's fear of changes brought on by the growth of industries, and the blending of cultures now so closely knitted together. Their fears now had a form, but it would need a name. Jack the Ripper. This is far before that. This is 1830s. <laughs> Jack the Ripper wouldn't get his acknowledgement until the end of the 1800s. Yeah. Chapter 2, The Boogeyman Gets a Name. It was not long after the businessman incident that the story of the graveyard devil had been completely forgotten. A young servant girl was walking to Lavender Hill by the name of Mary Stevens after visiting her parents in Battersea. Different from the businessman, she did not feel the safety of the city around her. In fact, as a young woman, the shadows and smoke-covered sky made her feel more trapped than protected. On her way through Clapham Common, she was able to observe the moon peeking out, even if it was for only a moment amidst the billowing smoke from the nearby factories. It was while she was distracted that a strange figure leaped at her from the dark alley. He towered over her, but seemed to be made from the darkness itself. After immobilizing her with a tight grip of his arms, he began to kiss her face while ripping her clothes and touching her flesh with his claws, which were, according to her deposition, quote, cold and clammy as those of a corpse. This was not the grip of a man. Mary struggled against the icy grip, but it seemed as though he was made of metal rather than flesh and sinew. In a panic, the girl screamed, making the attacker change his mind and quickly flee from the scene of the assault. The commotion attracted several residents who launched an immediate search for the attacker for hours, but one, he could not be found. The girl turned and raced back to her parents' home, and amidst tears and her torn dress, she told them of her attack. With the police notified, the press finally began to take the existence seriously. Rumors of this strange figure swirled around London for almost a year, with the press giving him his nickname, Spring-Heeled Jack due to his ability to seemingly leap impossible distances and over high walls. So they just like the name Jack. In Victorian times, Jack was a common name utilized to signify the devil, such as in a Jack in the Box, spring Jack, even Jack the Ripper. So anytime that they used Jack was kind of a way of giving the devil a nickname. So that's where the Jack came from in this name. However, for our spring-heeled Jack, he was only getting started. The leaping character jumped in the way of a passing carriage shortly after this incident, 
and caused the coachman to lose control and crash his horse and buggy, injuring him severely. Several witnesses claimed that they saw him escape by jumping over a nine-foot-high wall while babbling in a high-pitched and ringful laughter. The now-acknowledged Shadow Man was now emboldened to make his presence known and seemed to have a keen interest in young women. This was especially true of a barmaid, Polly Adams, as she was walking across Blackhurst in South London with two friends. This 18-year-old barmaid was similarly making her way home after working late hours. Different, she was in a different form of business, to quench the thirsts of the neighborhood workers looking to blow off steam after a long day in the factories. It was as she was rapidly making her way across Blackheath, which got its name either from the color of the soil or from the bleakness of the area, that the shadows seemed to envelop the three girls causing Polly to become separated from her friends. Once she was alone, this was when the shadowy figure turned from behind the shadow of a tree. It appeared so close and moved so quickly that the young barmaid was within his grasp before she could even comprehend what was happening. As she attempted to gaze into the face of her attacker, the demon belched fire at her and tried to tear off her clothes with fingers that felt unnatural, as if they were metal claws rather than flesh and bone. Well, so we have two different feelings, two different encounters. Interesting. It, the creature seems to also be able to breathe fire. Oh, yeah. Her screams were heard across the courtyard, and luckily she was still close enough to the tavern that some of the last patrons heard her. They raced across the field to her aid, frightening the clawed creature who seemed to be able to leap into the air and disappear without a trace, leaving the girl shaking and unable to speak. So at this point, he's yet to kill anybody. Correct. Okay. In a manner, he is more of a sexual predator than a murderer. Ah, okay. As you can see, uh, kissing the face of one girl, tearing the clothes of both girls, belching flames at them in order to terrorize them, seems to be his motive. Interesting. Gene Simmons. <laughs> I'm thinking that uh, there's a very big difference between the two of them. Mm, would be surprised. But we'll have to learn more. Chapter 3. The Lord Mayor of London acknowledges the devil. The population of London was now in a panic, and they demanded that something be done. No street seemed to be safe from the spring-heeled jack. The Lord Mayor of London, Sir John Cohen, received complaints from several parts of London describing the demonic creature with eyes like balls of fire and hands like icy claws. He couldn't believe the reports of a creature able to bound from rooftop to rooftop with such ease. On January 9th, he finally revealed at a public session held in the mansion house how in an anonymous complaint that he received several days earlier, which he had withheld in the hopes of attaining further information. This correspondent, who signed the letter, a resident of Peckham, wrote, and I quote, it appears that some individuals of, as the writer believes, the highest ranks of life, have laid a wager with a mischievous and foolhardy companion. 
that he durst take upon himself the task of men that he durst not take upon himself the task of visiting many of the villages near London in three different disguises as a ghost as a bear and a devil and moreover he will not enter a gentleman's gardens for the purpose of alarming the inmates of the house the wager has however been accepted and the unmanly villain has succeeded in depriving seven ladies of their senses two of whom are not likely to recover but to become burdens to their families at one house the man rang the bell and on the servant coming to the open door this worse than a brute stood in no less dreadful figure than a specter clad most perfectly the consequence was that the poor girl immediately swooned and has never from that moment been in her senses. The affair has now been going on for some time, and, strange to say, the papers are still silent on the subject. This writer has reason to believe that they have the whole history at their finger ends, but, though interested motives, are induced to remain silent. That's the whole letter? That is the letter. Wow. And it is, so it is written about a witness who acknowledges that there seems to be an unholy bet going on of some villain who can appear as a ghost, a monstrous beast like a bear, or a, like a demon. And that he, as of now, has attacked seven different people, leaving two of the women basically unable to ten care for themselves. Wow. The Lord Mayor showed the crowded gathering a pile of letters from various places in and around London complaining of similar wicked pranks. So it wasn't just London that was being the focal point. Wow. London is just now his current place right. of habit. Unsure what to make from these varying accounts, he ordered the police to search for a man in a bearskin hoping that the reward offered would be enough to catch whoever was responsible. So now spring Jack has a bounty out on him. This initiated a city-wide manhunt for the spring Jack, and it was in full effect with the police not dismissing any story. In fact, even the Duke of Wellington, the famed soldier who defeated Napoleon on the battlefield, although aged nearly 70, went out armed on horseback to hunt and kill the demonic monster. The letter given to the Lord Mayor seemed to indicate that perhaps Springhill Jack was not a devil, a ghost, or a mechanical construct. Perhaps he was merely a man, one with the economic means to create this elaborate scheme and the boldness to carry it through. Someone with the industrial knowledge to create a suit that would enable him to breathe fire, disappear into shadows, and leap across walls. We'll be back after a quick break. Greetings from Film the World Podcast. I'm your host, Trick O'More. I would like to extend an invitation for y'all to come check out our podcast. We take a look at book reviews, one a week, movies, music, pop culture, and UAP. Our hottest download is Dreamland from George Knapp's Bob Lazar Saga. Thanks for checking out Film the World Podcast. So yeah, so people have never been able to grasp the concept of possibilities. 
they have to find some kind of a logical explanation. That is human nature, is to try and keep everything within the realm of mortality and so forth. It's hard for them to go into the abstract of demons, ghosts, and so forth. Without real physical proof, people will always assume that it's a, just a man in a mask. Right. Just like any Scooby-Doo cartoon. I mean, yeah, but you know, even though, to me, this is physical proof, but people just deny it. Until they capture Spring-Heeled Jack, it's going to remain that way. I guess so. But there is more to learn about Jack. Okay. In fact, Chapter 4, Jack the Trickster. Yay! Perfect. That was beautiful. Somehow, someone forgot to put their phone on silent. Not me. Well, matter of fact, I think my phone's not on silent. Nobody really bothers me. Nearly a month after the Lord Mayor had set a bounty on Spring Hill Jack, the search has resulted in very little results. On February 19th of 1838, Jane Allstop was at home with her father and two sisters. Everyone was instructed to remain inside. Spring Hill Jack had the entire city trapped behind locked doors. There was a loud rapping on the door. Jane was the only member of the family to still be awake at the late hour. Ensured that all lights that could be on were, she slowly made her way to the door, with some fear, but supported by the courage afforded to her by the safety of her home and her family nearby. When she finally arrived at the door and investigated the noise, she felt relief. There was a man at the gate, though shrouded in shadows at the time. He announced that he was a police officer. This was supported by the policeman's cloak he had on to protect himself from the cold February air. Keeping her distance at the doorway of her home, Jane asked what business he had at her home. The police officer told her that he needed her assistance. He had ordered her to bring a light and follow him as they had, quote, caught spring Jack here in the lane. Okay, this sounds creepy. I'm not sure how you describe, define creepy then. Well, he, he, he knocks on the door and he tells a young girl to, here, follow us, we got the bill, we got the guy. Well, he needed a light. Remember, this is Victorian England and I guess he didn't have a flashlight or a lantern or anything with him. I mean, to Jane, this was a sudden thrill that came over her. She had heard all the frightening rumors and was excited to finally see the local demon up close. Oh, she was like me. She probably was a lot <laughs> like you. To know that the devil man's reign of terror was finally at an end, she felt relief and would complied with the request. She grabbed the lit candle from inside her home and ran outside to assist the officer. With amazing speed, she raced from her doorway to the street beyond the gate. The police officer had already turned and was beginning to head down the road, forcing Jane to chase after him. Almost out of breath, she presented him with the light and realized her mistake. Aha! I knew it. She dropped her offered candle as the police officer tore off his cloak and threw it to the ground to reveal himself. The man's face was hideous with wide eyes that did not blink and burned with an inner red light. He wore a strange helmet that seemed to fit like a skull cap and fitted around his pointed ears. Wow. 
He was dressed in a tight-fitting white oilskin suit, which is a type of waterproof garment commonly worn by sailors and fishermen. She was staring into the burning eyes of Springheel Jack himself. Wow, so he can talk? So he is a man. Or a demon can speak. All right, never mind. Okay, carry on. Thank you. My wayward son. Before Jane could even scream, Jack opened his mouth far wider than it should have been possible. White and blue flames vomited from his mouth. The flames did not burn, but seemed to spark all around the young victim. Jane, shocked by the man's appearance, stood there powerlessly as he grabbed hold of her, and, like so many times before, he began to tear her gown with his metallic claws. The fabric seemed to shred effortlessly at his assault. Awakening from a daze, Jane realized her danger and fought back. After a brief tussle, she was able to break free and make her way back to her home, screaming for help along the way. Her high-pitched cries for help echoed off the narrow roadway. Before reaching the steps of her front door, the man once again grabbed hold of her. He didn't run after her, but rather took one enormous leap to cover the entire distance from where she left him to her doorway. This time, spring Jack clawed and tore at her arms and neck. He tore out chunks of her hair while she continued to struggle for her life and her freedom. One of her sisters, awakened and hearing the screams, came to Jane's rescue, and the man fled from seeing her. The two slammed the door closed as soon as they crossed the threshold and collapsed against it. The attacker, realizing that his prey was escaping, hammered away at the door with his iron fists, and not until one of Jane's other sisters frightened him off by calling for a nearby police officer out of her second-story bedroom window. Spring-heeled Jack stared upwards at the high window, as if he was contemplating if he would just leap up and into it. Instead, he leaped away into the shadows before the police officers could even arrive. Later, Thomas Milbank came forward claiming that he was in fact spring Jack at a local pub known as the Morgan's Arms. As a carpenter, he was wearing white overalls and a greatcoat, an outfit very similar to Jack, which one was dropped outside of the victim's home, and the candle he dropped from was also found. Thomas was arrested with bricklayer named Payne believed to be his accomplice, and they were tried at the Lambeth Street Court. He only escaped conviction because Jane Alsop insisted that her attacker had breathed fire, and Mr. Milbank was clear that he could do no such thing. And it's also quite difficult to take Thomas Milbank's confession seriously because if he wasn't crazy or seeking fame, he did confess in a pub most likely whilst very intoxicated. So they had a man who claimed to be spring Jack, arrested him, brought him before court, but because he couldn't breathe fire, he <laughs> proved that that was why he wasn't spring Jack. All right. The also attack seemed to be the final straw as people were forbidden to travel alone regardless of the reason. Unfortunately, 
groups of people would not stop Spring-Heeled Jack. Chapter 5 Unsafe in Numbers Just nine days later after the Alsop attack, another one took place in a different part of London. Another 18-year-old woman named Lucy Scales and her sister were walking home from visiting their brother, who lived in a more respectful part of London known as the Limehouse one evening. Being sure to stay close together, the two felt that they would be safe in this more affluent and upscale neighborhood. Unfortunately, even the more respectful parts of London still have dark alleys, and they soon passed one known as the Green Dragon Alley. Before they could even rush past the entrance of the darkness, a shadowy man dressed in a cloak leaped in front of the two girls. Lucy was walking in front of her sister at the time and was trying to protect her. The man turned to her, opening his mouth and unleashed a violent spurt of blue flames into her face. Losing her sight, she fell to the ground and didn't wake up until much later in her home, where she would continue to have violent seizures as a result of the attack. Ooh, damn. It was Lucy's brother who had heard his sister's screams just as they had left his home. When he arrived in the alley, he saw his sister holding Lucy down as she violently convulsed. She was taken home, and he then learned from the other sister what had happened, described him as tall, thin, and gentlemanlike. He was covered in a large cloak and carrying a small lamp or a bullseye lantern, like those used by the police. Could Springheel Jack be a police officer with more devious intentions in mind? If it was nowadays, I'd say yes. The attacker had left the scene and was never found despite several rounds of questioning and numerous suspects. The man, or the demon, was never apprehended. Spring-Heeled Jack seemed to be able to travel in and out of the darkness at will and left no part of London safe. Chapter 6 The Mad Marquis for a while, as no one really had any idea who he was, suspicions rested on the eccentric young Marquis of Waterford. But he was never vicious, even though he was considered wild by Victorian society and had been nicknamed the Mad Marquis. The Marquis was regularly in the news in the late 1830s, so during this period, he, there would be articles about drunken brawling, brutal jokes, and vandalism, and he was said to do anything for a bet. With his money and affluent nature, he was the perfect person to be Spring-Heeled Jack. His rough behavior and his disdain for women earned him the moniker of the Mad Marquis, and it is also known that he was present in London area during the period of the first incidents. Unfortunately, the Waterford Chronicle was able to report his presence at the St. Valentine's Day Ball at Waterford Castle, which meant that he had a cast-iron alibi for the later attacks on Jane Alsop and Lucy Scales, which are at the center of the Jack's authenticated history. So, that. he was, nevertheless, pointed as the perpetrator by the Reverend E.C. Brewer in 1880, 
who attested that the Marquis, quote, used to amuse himself by springing on travelers unaware, to frighten them, and from time to time others have followed his silly example. So according to this reverend, there has been other proof of him being a prankster who would jump out at people. Hmm. In reality, though, in 1842, the Marquis of Waterford married and settled down in Curragmore House, Ireland, and reportedly led an exemplary life until he died in a horse-riding accident in 1859. Okay. So, you know, he found himself a good wife and he became a respectful member of society like you i think it's more like you you're the more deviant that has gotten more respectful thanks to me okay let's go with that it's on the air so that's what everyone's going to believe now okay meanwhile springhill jack remained active for decades afterwards which leads to the modern researchers to the same conclusion as brewers the Marquis may have been responsible for the first attacks and led it up to other pranksters to imitate him to continue the task afterwards. Mm-hmm. Copycats. If you remember the letter, the letter said it was a group of people who took undertook a bet to see if they could scare the population of London and their right. surrounding villages. So what if the Marquis was the leader of this club and once he retired to become a respectful member of society, other people decided to become Springheel Jack. Right. Chapter 7, Penny Dreadfuls. I like that show. Well, I'm <laughs> going to explain where the show kind of came from. Oh. Because it didn't take long before Springheel Jack became an urban legend. The leaping boogeyman who could be anywhere at any time. At a time when many simply couldn't read, oral storytelling played a large part. And the simplicity of Springheel Jack's stories made it more terrifying. There were only very few backstories offered, and his motivations were always unknown. If you were lucky enough to be able to read, Springheel Jack made numerous appearances in the Penny Dreadfuls, many titled Springheel Jack, The Terror of London, where he was alternately portrayed as everything from a jilted brigand to a supernatural menace. For those who are unfamiliar, the Penny Dreadfuls were short stories that were often featured works of horror or the supernatural. They were published every week and only cost a penny, hence the name. The price and short nature of these stories meant that they could be easily produced in mass, helping to spread the popular culture and capture the imaginations of the youth. Today, or during my youth, I grew up with what were called dime store novels. Again, these are cheap short stories that are contained simple adventures that are perfect to spark the imagination of a young boy. Penny Dreadfuls could also be considered the source that gave rise to the comic books. Awesome. So during the late 1830s and 1840s, spring Jack basically had his own comic book. <laughs> nice. We'll be back after a quick break. This podcast is the result of years of phenomenological trial and error. It is the product of attempt after attempt after attempt. It is also the product of years of introspective analysis, brought on by the occurrence of the strange and seemingly impossible. It began as an inquiry into the nature of reality. It is not a work of fiction. 
it is a work intended to be scrupulously followed for the desired results. Only a mind free of any doubt will accomplish the task of synthetically producing a glitch. Learn how, on how to create a glitch in the matrix. Now, all of these depictions served to cement his boogeyman status. Parents would tell stories of the jumping devil to scare their kids into submission. You best behave, or spring Jack will get you. Mysterious, unsolved crimes would be attributed to Jack by sensationalist reporters now looking to sell newspapers. The elusive monster now belonged to the Victorian nightmares. If someone robbed a store, it was spring Jack. If someone vandalized a building, it was spring Jack. The devil seemed to be everywhere and did everything. After all of these alleged encounters, spring Jack appeared in countless newspapers and it had established himself as one of the most prominent figures of folklore from the Victorian era. He could even be seen in more common street theater being a substitute for the devil in the Punch and Judy puppet shows. Oh, yeah. Chapter 8, spring Jack Leaps into Obscurity. Eyewitness reports of spring Jack continued popping up all over the country, if less frequently from now fewer substantial sources compared to the occurrences in 1837 and 1838. Copycat attackers were captured here and there trying to take advantage of the legend. Blacksmith James Priest was arrested in Islington after attacking several women in the style of spring Jack, and he was sentenced to three months of hard labor for his crimes. A man in Kilbourne was fined after donning a sheet and a mask in the style of spring Jack and committing a series of mischievous pranks. Everyone wanted to be the devil. As encounters in London ceased, it seemed the leaping shadow man had moved on from London and was now finding new people to terrorize. On the 13th of April in 1838, he appeared to a gardener in the shape of a bear or some other four-footed animal. Having attracted the gardener's attention by a growl, the bear-skinned man then climbed the garden wall and ran along it on all fours before jumping down and chasing the gardener for some time. After terrifying the old man, the apparition scaled the wall and made its escape. <laughs> the mischievous devil made a series of appearances at Aldershot military base where he harassed and terrified the sentry guards as late as August 1877 nearly 40 years after his first appearance. This story goes as follows. A sentry was on duty at the North Camp. As he peered into the darkness, his attention was attracted by a peculiar figure advancing towards him. The soldier issued a challenge, which went unheeded. And the figure came up beside him and delivered several slaps to the face. The guard shot at him with no visible effect. The strange figure disappeared into the surrounding darkness with astonishing bounds. It seems that spring Jack had returned to his more ghost-like state. So now we've seen all three. Exactly. The devil, the bear, and the ghost. And they keep popping up all over the place. 
and this would continue until 1904, nearly 70 years after his first appearance. This is when spring Jack made what is considered his last confirmed appearance in Liverpool, where he was witnessed leaping up and down the street before jumping onto the rooftops and bounding away forever into the night. Nobody was ever convicted or identified as spring Jack. There had been many who were arrested and many who were theorized, but his supernatural feats remain unexplained, such as how could a man have the ability to leap over a 10-foot wall and breathe blue flames? spring Jack left the city with a trail of attacked women and ghost stories forevermore. Wow. And that's our story of spring Jack. I liked it. Thank you. Now, for those of you who want more... Me? Well, if you want to continue your night with a tub of popcorn and some movies, I picked out one that continues the mystique of spring Jack. The first choice is 2008's spring Jack. Wow. So, pretty simple to figure out who it's about. No clue. Now, this movie is set in 2004, when the leaping shadow man resurfaces after a hundred-year absence, but is now on an actual killing spree. So he's upped his game. His main focus now is a teenager named Sam Walker, who calls the aid of his friends and an immortal Victorian woman to fight back against this power of evil and prevent the destruction of the world. Dun, dun, dun. So that is that is my movie choice if you want to watch more about spring Jack. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But... Where Jack fits in best is in books. Evolved beyond the Penny Dreadfuls, you can find stories of his leaping demons in such as spring Jack of 2017, written by Philip Pullman. I listened to the audio version of the book, and I found the story is about three children who escape an orphanage in Victorian London, and they now have to survive the treacherous streets. Strangely, well, maybe not, the villain of this story is Mac the Knife, who is a villain amongst villains, and spring Jack is the actual hero. Interesting. Which happened in a lot of the Penny Dreadfuls. spring Jack was a person who fought authority. So whereas the actual attacks were, he was basically almost a rapist, in the books they kind of tried to paint him as more of a Robin Hood type character. This book takes along that, in which it's fun and adventurous, just like the Penny Dreadfuls used to be. Hmm. My favorite book, though, is The Strange Affair of spring Jack, a Burton and Swineberg adventure. This is part of a th- collection of steampunk-themed books that gives a different explanation to the entity known as spring Jack. As a fan of the steampunk style, which is Victorian time period but with a science fiction twist, I love the whole series, and I listened to the audiobook to this entire series a couple of different times. So, in this book, spring Jack is steampunk. So, he's Victorian, but he uses machineries that enable him to have his powers. And it even goes further in the sci-fi. So, a little less horror, but very much uh, steampunk science fiction type books, if you like that type. That's cool. So, now we're on to our final opinions. Do you have any? No, I'm really glad you did this one. I mean, because I found the TikTok very cool. I wanted to know more about him. 
there you go. Good. Because to me, it remains unclear if spring Jack was a real man who terrorized the streets of London, or was this a case of mass hysteria, an urban legend, or is it a ghost story that just got out of control? Whatever it's based on reality, the legend of the Victorian demon of London still lives on in pop culture today. And there's one other theory that I didn't bring up because I really couldn't find much about it, but it keeps nagging at the back of my head. Yeah. Is the that connection between... <laughs> funny. The connection between spring Jack and Jack the Ripper. Okay. Now, there is a big time difference, but what if the young Jack the Ripper, as a boy, would read these adventures of spring Jack and would hear about these, how he disliked women, how he could attack out of the shadows, how the, the police could never catch him. Right. What if this gave him the inspiration to become the killer that he became? Wow. Because, you know, there is some similarities between Jack the Ripper, you know, could come out of the shadows, he attacked women. Right. He murdered them instead of just sexually assaulting them. Right. But what if he got some of his inspiration and some of his motivations from spring Jack? And I I thought that was an interesting topic that I didn't really see presented anywhere. Yeah. What if spring Jack was a role model to Jack the Ripper? Hmm. Interesting. Well, being sure to avoid the dark alleys of London, I suppose this is a good time to make our way back out of the mist and bring this episode to a close. Special thanks to David Facilian and Facilian Studios for our introduction music. We would like to ask you to please leave us a review on the podcast provider you are listening to this podcast on. It really helps promote the show. Another way that you can help promote our show is on the Paranormality Magazine. In our show notes, I will provide a link that you can click on. This is where they collect votes for your favorite podcast. Feel free to vote for Within the Mist as your favorite podcast so that we can become in the top 10 this month. We are also on social media and would love to hear your stories and opinions about encounters with ghosts or things that jump out at the night. You can reach us on Facebook page Within the Mist Podcast and we are also on Instagram and Twitter. Plus, we have an email at WithinTheMistPodcast at gmail.com for any of you who would like to share. We love stories and hearing about your own personal experiences. For those of you who may need a daily dose of cryptids and ghosts, such as the one I did on Spring Heel Jack, we do have a TikTok channel which gives a few three-minute clips about a story involving some of your favorites and some unknown creatures and spirits. We really hope you enjoyed our stories about Spring Heel Jack and we'll come again for another episode. Until then... Remain constantly curious. Goodbye, everyone. See you next time.